Hi, I'm Tom, and this is Tom Talks Movies. Firstly, I'd like to say thanks to all the listeners of the early episodes last year. I loved doing them, and hopefully you enjoyed listening. Anyway, it's led me to want to kind of up my podcast game a little bit, so you might be listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any major podcast platform that you um, get your podcasts from. Anyway, I'm going to sort of introduce this as Season 2 of the podcast. Hopefully, um, 2020 will be a good year for this. We'll keep keep going each week and enjoying it as we go. So, I did do a best of the decade list last time round, but now we're in 2020, specifically in the midst of awards season. We can look back at 2019 and make some predictions on the Oscars, which happen to be taking place next Monday. It's important to say at this point that no one should actually really care about the Oscars. Um, it is just an industry awards show with people voting for their mates and uh, sort of a bit of corruption um, at some point. It's it's just known as sort of the white people drama awards. No comedies rarely win. You think maybe a, a push. Annie Hall won in 1977. Sci-fi fantasy rarely wins. Lord of the Rings got it. Um, but the tradition is if you have a English accent you get an Oscar if you have a disability you get an Oscar any perceived hard- hardship you get an Oscar Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant he was cold he ate a raw fish gets an Oscar we're going to talk uh, pretty much exclusively about the best picture nominations this year because that's the only thing people ever remember about the Oscars along with celebrities embarrassing themselves um, John Travolta mispronouncing Idina Menzel's name uh, a recent Oscars is still one of the funniest clips you can find online along with the most cringy so if that's not your cup of tea don't don't uh, search that out but anyway so the nominees are going to be Ford vs Ferrari The Irishman Jojo Rabbit Joker Little Women Marriage Story 1917 Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Parasite my personal pick would be Marriage Story. I think there's always two predictions you have to make with the Oscars, the one that the um, Oscar voters will actually vote for, and my personal. Um, I would say that Marriage Story is the most complete film on this list. It's a love story seen through the eyes of a brutal divorce. A stage director, played by Adam Driver, and an actress, played by Scarlett Johansson, struggle through a grueling sort of uh, coast-to-coast divorce. He wants to be based in New York, she wants to be based in L.A., um, and it separates them from their child, um, and it pushes them to absolute personal extremes. The sort of performances are out of this world, but it's all based, I think, on the script. The director, Noah Baumbach, is a really talented director, writer, um, creative, um, but he makes a... He, writes a script that really pushes the narrative and directs the story forward. It feels like the perfect blend of artistic filmmaking balanced with real-life grounding and human emotions. I love that every time I open my YouTube recommended feed, uh, it's full of Noah Baumbach, sort of explains this scene video or notes from a screenwriter, all those sort of things. And um, there's, you might have seen online, there's sort of one scene in the middle there, pivotal, pivotal argument scene, that has been all over the internet memed to uh, ridiculous levels, but it doesn't take away from the ridiculous level of acting um, scene. And I think what I've noticed in these interviews and videos I've watched is that it's Noah seems so exact with what's in the script. He knows when he wants to cut, so he requires his actors to move in a certain way. Their body language is essential to the framing of 
um, the shots and then where he can cut he might require Scar to sort of lean forward or jut forward uh, right on a certain word or beat so he can cut at the right point and you get a sense of how tight and exact the film is when you watch it and it doesn't take away from any of the fun it's um, a really enjoyable watch because it's so engaging um, unf not unfortunately but um, differently the Oscar voters probably won't see it that way I think there's a much greater odds that 1917 wins best picture it's definitely the bookies favorite the film starts at the height of the First World War two young British soldiers Schofield and Blake are giving a seemingly impossible mission in a race against time, they must cross enemy territory and deliver a message that will stop a deadly attack on hundreds of soldiers, Blake's own brother amongst them. Boy, it sounds dangerous, doesn't it? In the first half an hour, I found the one-shot camera work to be totally nauseating. The whole film's marketing campaign was based on this one-shot photography. But for many of the walking scenes throughout, I didn't... Um, Sort of, not that I didn't enjoy it, but it just it felt like a roller coaster. I was getting almost like motion sickness to a degree. Um, I think the one-shot photography was much better used in something like Birdman, which I think was either nominated for Best Picture or won Best Picture in 2014. It was the sort of Michael Keaton uh, New York theatre um, film, uh, really great. But all that, all of that was shot in the confines of a theatre. It was closed, cor narrow corridors, closed sets. Um, and the sensation of watching the one-shot photography on open, bloodied fields was totally different and felt much rockier. Um, I would say it was actually quite well utilised in some of the slower scenes and then oppositely the high-intensity set pieces. To briefly, but in, in lacking detail, spoil some of the story, um, Blake, the first character played by Dean Chapman, um, sort of passes away sort of midway through the film and... Um, the film, the camera actually slows down for once, and it sort of, um, it really feels like sort of the camera's at peace because the character is passing away and is at peace, and it's one of those sort of things. Um, but it, when the film slows down, it's sort of beautiful. Um, and then, oppositely, some of the high-intensity stuff. Um, there's a couple of set pieces, and you'll see what I mean when you see it. There's mine shaft sequence where they have to escape a collapsing mine shaft. Um, is super high intensity and I mean it feels I'm using this as a compliment and not a point to negate it but um, it feels like a sort of movie like a video game cutscene or something because it's so sort of high intensity and fun um, but the the one that the shot that stands out and will undoubtedly win Roger Deakins the be best cinematography award of the Oscars is the stuff at the village acoust the whole way through these two characters are trying to reach this village acoust because it's just before where the enemy line is and uh, all the where the uh, british line is um and when he gets there it's sort of all in flames and it was night time but uh, lit only with flames and flares and he's sort of running through all the ruins being chased by german soldiers i'm working on the assumption they're drunk because if their shooting's that bad i'm surprised they got that far into the war um, but he's Roger Deakins. What he does in that scene is beyond mesmerising. It's absolutely jaw-dropping. I was in awe of what was on screen. Um, and it, it, the film's not that long. I'd maybe it's to the point where you'd recommend seeing it for that scene alone. Um, I wouldn't. I'd recommend this one to most people. Honestly, other than those who. 
uh, ha sort of do actually suffer with sort of motion sickness because the camera work is so unique. It happens rarely, and if your brain is going to take a while to adjust as mine did, um, you'll find the enjoyment level decreasing fairly rapidly. The ending had some real emotion attached. I hadn't noticed it sort of gripping me um, throughout, but when you meet Blake's brother at the end, it sort of really got me. I was sort of choking up a little bit. Um, and I applaud the, uh, the film for trying to make me believe that the two brothers are actually brothers, despite looking very, very different. Um, they both were actors who played characters in Game of Thrones, and in that show, they were on opposing families, supposed to be enemies. So, um, seeing that at the end of the film, I mean, I was engrossed at the time and sort of sad at the time, but coming out, I sort of had a laugh with my mate about it. So, um... That was that was really enjoyable, and along with that, I think it, the dialogue about this film was really fun. I, that's why I enjoy the film discussion across the board because we came out and the guy I saw it with is sort of really interested in military operations, um, and he was sort of laughing about how ridiculous the sniper scene was. There's a scene midway through where a character is climbing over a bridge and there's a watchtower maybe 60 feet away. Uh, there's a German sniper in it, and he misses the shot multiple times. And then the uh, English hero we're following. Um, manages to sort of see him off um, and I don't know my mate was laughing about that and it, it, the, the things that different people with different experiences and perspectives see and uh, really again maybe value the sort of film discussion that we're having here and um, the film was it was sort of fun but it's I, don't, I, I think Marriage Story was a more complete film it had less less issues with it I'd, I'd, I'd go the other way to the Oscar voters I don't know um and I'd only I'd only be disappointed with the best picture winner if it was one of Ford versus Ferrari or Joker, and that's because they lack uh, a identity or message that the other films just radiate. I think if you've seen the other films, you'll sort of recognise it, but there's a real sense of message in most of the others. Jojo Rabbit is one of the most endearing films I've seen in recent years. It's an anti-hate World War II satire that follows a lonely German boy whose worldview is just turned upside down when he discovers his single mother is hiding a young Jewish girl in their attic, aided only by his idiotic imaginary friend Adolf Hitler. Uh, Jojo must confront his blind nationalism. And my main point on this film, I'd just like to clarify, is that it's I, I love it, and that before seeing it I could listen to Heroes by David Bowie and just think oh my god what a great song and now when I hear that song all I picture is the end scene of this film with Jojo ready to face the world having uh, fought for the people he cares about um, and it's it really has left a bit of an impact on me I think it's a brilliant film and that's what people I saw it with loved it too which is always a good sign um, because it, it, it does have a sort of bizarre kind of um, topic. You you explain people the details of the film, and you go, this kid's got an imaginary friend of Hitler, and you're like, sort of, what? Um, and if you're aware of who Taika Waititi is, I think it becomes a little bit more obvious. But this guy's a New Zealand uh, um, director, writer, actor, um, real sort of creative genius who's sort of really come up throughout the 2010s. Um, and he, he wrote... Uh, the adapted screenplay for this played uh, sort of cartoonish version of Adolf Hitler and it has those elements of drama and comedy that Tyker's most is often the case with his productions 
but it doesn't venture too far down either path to the point where you have to treat it as its own identity. I think the the drama in this case often sort of comes from the main cast, um, be it Jojo, his mum, and the Jewish girl in the attic, and then the supporting cast makes up most of the comedy. Jojo's young best friend, um, some of the uh, Nazi sort of leaders and people who are sort of trying to uh, either help Jojo or distract him from um, regular life. I think Rebel Wilson, Sam Rockwell really make a stand in this film for um, sort of comedic ability. Um, best picture this year, I think the nominees overall were sort of all quite quality. I think it's a better lineup of nominations than there's been in previous years. The rest of the categories, I think, will uh, be fairly unanimously obvious to who gets them, and it's a bit of a shame that um, there's a sort of lack of representation across this category and others. Greta Gerwig not getting a nomination for um, Best Director, despite her film Little Women being in the Best Picture um, category seems bizarre. I think all the nominations for Best Director are white males. Um, and across the acting categories, I think there's the same again, lacking representation. Um, I'm sure there'll be speeches on uh, diversity and increasing diversity, as there often are. I think Whacking Phoenix, who is a probably just a dead cert to win Best Actor for his portrayal of the Joker, has spoken already uh, quite vocally um, at previous award shows about. Um, even his personal failings with rep being a sort of uh, all-inclusive, working on all-inclusive sets. He made a very good speech at the BAFTAs most recently, um, where he sort of, sort of said, I need to do better at making the sets I work on be inclusive. Um, and it was more engaging than the sort of often speeches on diversity in the past because he was very self-deprecating, uh, made himself to be, and the whole industry to be part of the problem, um, and it felt honest, um, which is the the first thing we can ask for. Um, I hope sort of these Oscars are a turning point. Um, I mean, the Oscars so white campaign was years and was years ago, and very little has changed. But uh, in terms of it. it doesn't really is the importance pales in comparison but the quality of films i think was definitely higher in 2019 than it had been in previous years so um if if that keeps increasing and we get sort of um different film perspectives from pe various p peoples of color um i don't think that's definitely a good thing so uh we'll see who wins and what the outcome is and if any more celebs fall over or embarrass themselves come monday um and other than that um, I'll see you all next time with another episode of Tom Talks Movies. Thank you.